And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and with the Mexican Grand Prix just round the corner, has Sergio Perez turned the corner in time for a starring role on home ground? And just how big is his hero status heading into a race where he finished third both in 2021 and 22? To answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and special guest Diego Mejia. Well, Diego, welcome to the podcast. Diego, of course, from Fox Sports Mexico and also The Race Spain as well, our YouTube channel. So, Diego, welcome to the podcast and perhaps tell us a little bit about who you are for those who haven't encountered your work. Thanks very much for the intro, Ed. And Scott, it's great to share some time with you guys uh, before the Mexican Grand Prix and on the back of a very exciting race. Maybe, maybe not what happened a couple of hours after the race, but uh, the race itself uh, was pretty good. Um, actually, I'm uh, working now for uh, Fox Sports in Mexico, uh, which is the F1 official broadcaster for the territory. It used to be for a long time ago before that, and I was with them back then as well. Uh, but the way it has uh, developed in uh, Latin America, it used to be a full package of rights for Formula One for the whole continent, but Brazil, which has always this deal with before Global and now Bandeirantes. And um, recently uh, it's split. So Mexico now has its own broadcast from this year. And uh, ESPN, which is uh, the rights holder for the rest of Latin America, has their own broadcast. Uh, so uh, I think uh, it was good that we got to do this this year, especially at the beginning with what was going on with Sergio. I was initially going to attend a few races, but uh, I went to the first two that Checo won. So <laughs> it turned out to be going to every race from then on, um, which I did uh, some years ago. I had stopped doing all the traveling uh, right before COVID. 
but now I'm back in the full swing. Uh, let's see for how long. But uh, yeah, enjoying uh, uh, being back to the races. It's uh, it's always great to catch up with you guys and everyone in the media center. Yeah, and I can imagine this week is a fairly busy one. What with this being the Sergio Perez Grand Prix, effectively for you. So thanks for uh, sparing the time. And Scott Mitchell Malm, you're back. I am back. It's good to be back. I've I, I I've missed doing the podcast. Have you missed having me? Uh, well, we had some very good stand-ins, so uh, I barely noticed you were missing. To be honest, that's about to say it's a very polite way of saying no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's been it's been good. I have to say a big thank you to uh, you and everybody else that sort of facilitated me having a a couple of weeks off to uh, devote my time and attention to to my wife and my new son Oscar. They're both doing fantastically well. I think if Oscar could talk but he's a little bit away away from being able to do that. He'd say thank you. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been nice to give them all my attention, but now I'm back. I'm going to do my best to follow this race from from afar and Brazil as well actually um which is a slightly unkind time zone to be trying to work remotely and then i'll be back in the paddock for vegas and abu dhabi brazil's not too bad because it's a surprisingly close time zone to europe actually so uh brazil's okay but i expect uh i expect oscar's probably relieved to be rid of you for uh, for a few hours a day now that you're uh, getting some work done so that's a positive yeah that's true i think i was probably um giving him slightly too much attention and there's only so many times even as a as a newborn baby when your eyesight is developing that you can just be creepily stared at for hours on end so he is probably uh, pleased to be given a reprieve from that <laughs> <laughs> well once you've done your uh, parental duty and taught him how to talk we'll have to get him onto a podcast at some point He'll probably talk more sense than you in the not too distant future but in the meantime we're lumbered with the older Mitchell Mound so <laughs> let's get into this weekend's Mexican Grand Prix and Diego obviously Sergio Perez is the star in this region he'll be the center of attention in the Mexican Grand Prix what's the perception of his struggles and is the criticism as strong in Mexico in that the region as it has been in Europe yeah I guess he's like everything uh, some people back him uh, regardless of what happens and they are with him in the most uh, difficult uh, days of the journey probably the last three races before we went to Austin um He's become uh, like a major um, idol, a major figure in Mexico in the last three years since he jumped in Red Bull. And obviously the, the impact that um, uh, Drive to Survive had in everywhere in the world, it had also in in Mexico. And uh, he, he before, I mean, when he was racing for Force India Racing Point, he was a, you know, a known personality, but not a huge uh, household name like he is now in in the country so he's got a lot of new fans new F1 fans backing him uh, regardless of his struggles but obviously there's there's a, a lot of fans that would like him to to do better to be more like he was at the first uh, part of the season when he was doing some winning and challenging Max and saying that he was going to be world champion um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's very split. But I guess when we get to the track, we'll all know that uh, probably the the biggest uh, fan base is the one that stands with him, regardless of what happens. So is he, in terms of that household name status, is he one of the biggest sporting stars in Mexico right now, or is Absolutely. he sort of in the second tier? Is, is there an, are there many people ahead of him? Yeah, they, I mean there there are uh, people ahead of him, but he has. Yeah, like climb to a big uh, following status relative to what he was before his time at Red Bull. I mean, he's 
it, it has changed massively and you can see him uh, in almost every ad campaign in Mexico. <laughs> He's got lots of deals uh, for big companies that are willing to spend big money on him because of what he represents for Mexico. Um, even not only in Mexico, but outside, like big Mexican brands that want him as ambassador for the world as well. He's done like a couple of documentaries. For the past three weeks, he's been in two music videos with big stars, like international stars. So, I mean, you can see he's pretty busy outside the car. Uh, some people say it's too much, but I I don't blame him. You know, it's, it's his time to to make the most of it and he's clearly making it. Yeah, he needs to he I think he does need to grasp the opportunity because at absolute all respect to his ability as a driver, but the fact that this opportunity came towards the latter stages of of his career and maybe it could have been a bit different had that McLaren move worked out earlier on, but as Diego was talking about there, the shift in that status, almost celebrity status from midfielder who had scored a few podiums in F1 to occasional race winner and regular podium finisher in the best car in one of the best teams in recent F1 history is a massive opportunity for for, for any driver, especially someone who comes to kind of represent for an entire nation, because that is what has always been really cool about Checo's Mexican support is that you really do get a sense of, and I and I know it's not. It would be far too naive and a little bit patronising to say it's an entire nation be- behind him, but you do get that impression when, especially when you're there. That that's I am I am really going to miss being at the track and in Mexico City this weekend because it is a, it's one of the, it's definitely one of the coolest places, definitely one of the best races of the of the calendar to be. The the atmosphere is something else it's really difficult actually to to put it into words do you think it's a relatively new race because it's come back onto the calendar obviously in 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 recent times but it's got a lot of history as a race it's got an incredibly passionate fan base and Checo's kind of reinvigorated career with the Red Bull opportunity has given them a driver to properly latch onto and I can see that being something that has its drawbacks. A little bit like, do you remember a few years ago when Daniel Ricciardo admitted he'd taken it a bit too far in Australia with some of the promotional stuff in the build-up to the race? I think it was his first year with Renault. And it, it, it just, it was too much. It was a bit of a distraction. And a few home heroes have sort of said that at times. And kind of feel like if one driver is going to get burnout from satisfying their 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 home fans, it might be Checo because he is ubiquitous in Mexico, especially on the week of the Grand Prix. But given where, where he's been the last few races or the last few weeks, I do feel like he is someone that feeds off that energy quite well. So in my opinion, I think this comes at quite a nice time for him. Yeah, I agree. He will absorb the energy from the people and hopefully that makes him, you know, build on what was probably a solid weekend in in Austin. Not nothing great, nothing spectacular, but after three races, you know, with so many issues, mistakes from his part, it was it was good to have a let's say more more, more of a silent weekend. And uh, hopefully that fun uh, push and the energy can help him get more of 
the best of him because obviously I think his his confidence was hit really hard in the last three races. And uh, whenever I was in the TV pen after the race, uh, talking to him, it was like <laughs> you could see that he was he felt defeated. Uh, he 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 lacked uh, words for what was going on, and he was really really struggling so it's good to see that he was he has been able to at least uh, hit the brakes on that downward spiral that he was in and uh yeah let's see what what mexico brings for him yeah it was interesting the kota weekend wasn't sort of a massive reversal in form or anything but it was a clean weekend and i asked him after the race about whether he felt all that sim work he did in the time that they spent at the factory before the race, trying to work through everything, had had an effect. And he's sort of gently confident that, that it was. He said they're having difficulties with preparation and taking wrong directions at the track, compromising weekends, and needed to step back and start all over again. And, and he did feel that was the case and that he's taken a step. He said there's a lot more potential coming. I guess the interesting thing there, though, Diego, is quite often when... Checo has some difficulties. He's usually quite positive and constructive and says, yeah, we've done some work. We're, we think we can go better now. And it doesn't always happen because he's got a really tough task because he's always being measured against Max Verstappen. So given that, what do you think is realistic to expect from the Mexico weekend? Well, uh, I think uh, having been on the podium for the last two Mexican Grand Prix, uh, anything less than that would be uh, not probably achieving what... Uh, what he wants. Uh, whenever, because I I got to speak to uh, Christian Horner on the grid and during the week and a couple of times always, and the tone of his expectations on Checo um, since the last uh, race in Qatar have been. I mean, you can feel that he is more demanding in what he expects out of Checo, and it feels like somehow the uh, second place in the drivers' championship is is not any more like a welcome a gift or an added bonus, but something he must achieve, you know. Luckily for Checo, he's not costing Red Bull anything because they have basically wrapped up both championships. Uh, the only bad thing that could happen is that he loses second place in the championship, and now he's had this big gift from Luis and Mercedes, <laughs> which helps uh, his cause in, in getting that done. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a time of the year where things are not very clear in terms of how much uh, of that gap Red Bull still has because of what we saw in Austin, because how um, Verstappen sees you with the brakes probably uh, showed us a race that was quite... Uh, tight at the at the front end but maybe maybe it wasn't as much because the the sprint wasn't as much you know after after the sprint you would expect the grand prix to go in the same way but it, it wasn't but there were different things happening on the race that probably don't don't, don't didn't show exactly um how much i mean how much of that gap still a red bull has and you know, the right hat and all these things that they had to do with the car that you've very well explained uh, on the podcast on Monday. Uh, all that has probably not played um, towards uh, Red Bull's uh, um, superiority during the Austin weekend. So if if uh, Red Bull doesn't have the that uh, advantage into the last few races, like they had probably mid-season, like, yeah, 
the, the last good good race for Checo was Monza, I think. Um, yeah, he needs he needs to do something like that if he has the car. If things are tighter and Mercedes is up there with both drivers and um, Mercedes, uh, sorry, McLaren keeps being there and suddenly Ferrari's in the mix as well, it's going to be harder for Checo, I think, to sort of do these great uh, races that uh, he's done in some of those that he hasn't qualified well, but he's been the center of attention just because he's coming back in the through the field after a bad qualifying. Um, so yeah, I think he needs just to be, yeah, not make any, any mistakes, and and we'll see how how hard fought uh, the the weekend in Mexico is. Uh, Checo has always during his career shown, uh, you know, he has this never give up on on his helmet, and that's kind of his mantra. <laughs> um, sometimes he pulls things out of the bag that you just don't expect. I, I hope this is a time when he's able to do that again. But uh, you can see that the field is tightening up at the front and that's not going to make things any easier for him. The main thing I think that Red Bull probably needs to avoid this weekend is doing anything that inadvertently trips Checo up. Like the we've seen a few times this year, I, th- I think, you know, Zandvoort, for, for example, with the, the, the choice of when to come in to, to change tyres. You don't need a lot for social media to erupt in a storm of Red Bull favouritism of Verstappen. And these can be very innocuous things, you know, details that are the result of something the driver's done in the race or just a completely standard practice between F1 teams, but it gets perceived as favouritism. And, and it isn't just a Red Bull thing. I'm not, I'm not saying this is just a something that Checo fans pick up on. We've seen it with McLaren as well, a couple of times when Lando Norris has been quote-unquote favoured by McLaren strategy and hurt Oscar Piastri, accidentally undercut, that kind of thing. But that's just because it it's a response to the specifics of the race. There's no favouritism. It's about the greater good of the team. And I, I have no doubt there are certain circumstances where it's definitely better for Red Bull to prioritise Verstappen because most of the time, apart from earlier in the year, Verstappen's been the better bet for Red Bull to, to, to win or, or, or whatever. But... Given given this narrative that has persisted for a very long time that Red Bull is Verstappen's team and there's even, you know, suggestions that, you know, Perez runs on different specifications or doesn't get the same treatment and stuff like this, it would be very regrettable for Red Bull if anything happens during the Mexican Grand Prix weekend <laughs> to fuel those rumours in any way. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Actually, after the whole Marco thing, uh, you know that... Uh, the organizers of the Mexican Grand Prix launched uh, a campaign called Race Respect. Yes. Like Race uh, Pact, uh, Racing Respect. Yes. So, uh, I mean, the reaction from the fans has been, <laughs> I guess, quite the opposite. It has enraged some of them more. So I would expect some booing this weekend. Um uh, I, I hope they behave, but uh, some people at Rebel were a bit wary of, uh, like, are we going to be safe in Mexico? I said, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're not Helmut Marco, then probably you won't get booed. Uh, but, um, yeah, besides that, I think that the team has, as you you point out, uh, Scott, some people have the belief that it's, it's just everything for Max and uh, anything uh, that can help him you know, 
perform better will will go there regardless of it affecting Checo in in a bad way you know like the way they ha- the car has developed and all this, that that Checo has been saying since uh, since Barcelona but i guess that the team as the season has uh, progressed has been more open to let's say have different programs for Checo and Max i mean if if Checo feels he see he needs to do something else in practice or he needs to try a different front wing or whatever because the he that gives him a better feeling they go that way i mean last uh, weekend they had a, a different front wing for the whole weekend uh, for sure there there are more differences uh, related to making that work in the way probably Checo wants to get the feel that he he needs from the car but i guess red bull has been accommodating in the way that uh, uh, they think they can help him get the best out of him and and you rarely uh, see that being mentioned uh but i think it has been a fact and i i get to see free practice from the pit lane and i can see when they swap things around and and i can definitely see that uh, even the run programs sometimes are different for 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 max and for checo and sometimes checo needs more laps they have a different way of working like for example you rarely see max during practice come in and do uh flap adjust checo does that all the time like uh, uh, to like give him the the feeling that he wants from the front of the car which seems quite critical at some tracks but uh, every time in free practice he he'll do a run on new tires then come back uh, if the fuel wasn't there he'll do flap adjust come back and and get more info about where the car is going in terms of the balance yeah i think that's useful um extra context on on what i was saying so and just to just in case anybody willfully or otherwise uh, in misinterprets sort of what I was saying before the point about like different specs and stuff is more that the if it's a conscious choice or you know if, if it's as you were saying Diego a, a way to maybe give Checo a better feeling in the car or give him what he needs that's one thing but there are people who believe that you know upgrades are made available and own Max only ever gets to to drive them I think there have been one or two times where they bring an upgrade and they either want to back-to-back it or they only have one available and that might go on Verstappen's car and it doesn't go on Checo's car. But again, that's not, you know, that's not outside of the realms of normality within within teams and Red Bull would never label their drivers as such and I would imagine that Checo probably believes that this isn't the case but Red Bull does have a number one and a number two driver because one of those drivers is a three-time world champion <laughs> like de-, de facto or, or or official Max is the number one in that team so elements of whether you want to call it preferential treatment or being prioritized or whatever like they, they do exist but I don't see any any evidence other than the fact that Red Bull is making a, a big effort for for Checo and is um is in his corner I think they want it to work I think it would be so much easier for Red Bull if Checo could get back to the form he was in in the first third of the season and then make it super easy to keep things the same for 2024 and all of that. So it would be convenient and helpful for everyone concerned if Checo could go out there this weekend and have a brilliant home Grand Prix. Yeah, and it's going to be all about finishing the season strongly because obviously the decision on 25 
will not be taken this time next year, will it? It will be the first part of the season that it takes it. So he needs a good, strong role into next year. I think if Checo can really concentrate on playing to his strengths and what he wants to do, not trying to match Max Verstappen, because we know he's not going to be able to tolerate the what he will feel is the rear-end instability that Verstappen can. We've seen plenty of times in the past great drivers who can do amazing things with a rear that's quite lively, and a lot of drivers can't deal with that and so Perez has to find a slightly different route to getting the best out of the car probably means that route will limit the overall potential of the car a little bit but if he can find a a balance and a setup that sacrifices a few tenths but he can consistently get the best out of which we've seen in the past for him he absolutely can then that could be very very positive for him Um, Christian Horner was saying on Saturday when I asked him about it that sort of the key quality is mental strength in a teammate of Verstappen and I think if Checo can have the strength to really focus on what he's doing, getting the best out of himself, not perhaps, as he did earlier in the season, get a bit carried away with a championship challenge and trying to do what Max can do that few others can. I think that'll be good news for Checo. And I think he's still got every chance of laying a claim for 2025. Now, before we move on, we want to tell you about something fun that we've got planned for the rest of the season. It's called the Race F1 Cup, and here to tell us all about it is Megan Cantle, the race's social media guru. So, Megan, welcome to the podcast. So, can you tell us what exactly is the Race F1 Cup? Why are we doing it, and how does it work? Hi. Um, okay, so the original idea, now that both championships have very much been won, was sort of just to keep people interested it have sort of some stakes behind the rest of the season and the race f1 cup is going to pit people who aren't called max verstappen and some names at the bottom of the grid against each other in a group knockout type system all the way through to the season finale in abu dhabi excellent so leaving out the the obvious winners and losers i guess of the season in order to add up to a right a nice uh, a nice round number so we've got the first round that starts in mexico this weekend it's a group stage. So can you tell us what the groups are and how this whole process works? Okay, so we seeded the draw because we wanted to make the groups a little bit more interesting. So we picked um, two from the top eight, obviously, excluding Max, and then two from the next eight of the championship as it stands. Um, so the groups are as follows. So Group A includes Sainz, Joe, Norris and Albon. Oh, that's going to be a challenging group for Joe, I think. It might turn out that way, yeah. Group B, that this is an interesting one, I think, is Alonso, Gasly, Hamilton and Stroll. Tough group. Oh, there's a McLaren 2007 vibe for that one. <laughs> also, the teammates up against each other, which, you know, might be interesting. Um, group C is Perez, Bottas, Russell and Ocon. Battle of the uh, leading team number two drivers of the last few years. Yeah, that's that's one way of putting it, yeah. Um, group D <laughs> is Piastri, Sonoda, Leclerc and Hulk. That's the tired deck group, isn't it? That's a tricky one. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the groups. And after this race, the race this weekend, um, two will go through from each group. The draw will be made again. So it's not the same people competing against each other all the time. And the quarterfinals will be held in Brazil, semifinals, Las Vegas, and the final will obviously be Abu Dhabi. So it'll just be based on it'll be based on race results that that sends them through. Yeah, the sprint races hold no impact. It is just the race on Sunday. The sprint races hold no impact. Never a truer word was spoken. Not just about the uh, the, the races F one Cup, but uh, F one in general at the moment. But Scott, there's always a group of death, isn't there? In uh, in World Cups, is there one that stands out here for you? 
Yeah, it's difficult because a group of death has uh, many definitions depending on sort of what position you take on it. I think if you look at it in the objective sense of just the outright strength of the groups, I think I'd lean, I'd probably lean towards group B, but the Aston Martin decline has been such that I'm actually wondering if if I'm Pierre Gasly, I'm fancying my chances of progressing, to be honest. So maybe that's not quite so group group of deathy. Um, I actually think in a slightly different way, you could make a case like I wouldn't want to be Nico Hulkenberg in Group D because I'm looking at that and seeing three other cars that are definitely, definitely points contenders. And I'm in a car that, okay, it's heavily upgraded, but I don't really fancy my chances. The the others are a bit more evenly balanced. There's quite a clear split between sort of the, the better teams and the and, and the worst teams. B and D sort of feel like that could be the trickiest to get through from. Well, we're going to be encouraging people to make predictions on who they think will be the overall winner. That'll be done on Twitter or X, if you like your social media platforms ludicrously named. So putting you both on the spot, based on the groups, who is going to win? Scott, who's your favourite? Uh, I'm just going to go with sort of the conventional form of the last few races and say Lando Norris because he's on an incredible podium hot streak at the moment and I'm going to back him to continue that. Yeah, that's a reasonable punt. How about you, Megan? Can I have two? I think it'll probably be Hamilton, but I wouldn't... I, I'm having sights as a bit of a dark horse. I don't know. That might just be rubbish, but, you know, that's who I'm going for. <laughs> Some tremendous fence sitting there by picking two. That's not how social media works, surely, is it? Everything's very clear-cut and uh, and uh, and polarised and binary. But yeah, it's well, you, you're fa- you're famous for uh, nailing your colours to the masthead. So you know, who do you pick? Well, I'm going to pick fifteen or sixteen of them, I think. But uh, no, it's it's quite tricky because I'm just trying to work out how it would work with the uh, with the track sensitivities and the performances. But yeah. I think, uh, do you know what? I'm going to go with a bit of a bit of a risky one and go Sergio Perez. I'm backing him to have a sensible, solid end to the season. I think he's going to be picking up some reasonable results. So I think others will cancel each other out and he should, if he does his job, be on the podium consistently. Well, given that the first round of this is taking place in Mexico, if Sergio doesn't even you know, make it out of the group phases group phase then there's going to be riots on the streets of Mexico City so I would hope that he's at least in contention after this weekend yeah I think he's third the last couple of weekends or the last couple of years rather in Mexico so he's got a good chance and Megan you should tell us about the prize that's on offer because we're encouraging people to predict the winner on social media so what's on offer so we're going to put a post out obviously announcing this all and we're going to ask for predictions like you said um We'd like people to predict just the overall winner um, underneath that post, if possible. So they're all in nicely in one place for me to find in a few weeks' time. Um, if people can make their predictions before track action has started on Friday, so that's obviously you've got the whole of up until the end of Friday, providing which country you're in, obviously. If we get a lot of people predicting the winner, we're going to pick somebody at random and the prize is going to be a membership to the Race Members Club. So hopefully that people will be interested in winning that. Excellent. I'm pleased you were setting an example by picking two winners and then asking that people only back one. (laughs) So uh, that's very, very, uh, very, very good. And you're going to keep us updated, I think. We will be hearing you cropping up on our podcasts over the coming weeks. Yep. Because the draws are going to be made for the quarterfinals and semifinals, obviously I'm going to keep people updated with who's in what group. And yeah, there might be some interesting 
results to talk about. So, yes. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Megan. We'll speak to you again ahead of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Uh, Scott, we mentioned the second place in the championship battle there. Do you think that Hamilton's disqualification in Cota has pretty much taken the sting out of the tail of that one? I think it's uh, swung things back towards Checo in a very, very kind way. Um, I feel like the way things had gone especially the last uh, few events and I think Diego had mentioned you know like mistakes and difficulties at Japan and um, Qatar in particular but Singapore as as well just for the whole Red Bull team that run after Monza really went against Checo and Hamilton had built really good momentum to not just be in with a chance of second in the championship but actually making it look like it was perfectly possible I don't think it was ever going to be easy because because we know that as as much as Checo has these difficulties, we also know he's just as capable of going out in the weekend, getting into Q3 perfectly fine, and then finishing on the podium. And with the car that he has and the ability that he can perform at, uh, sorry, the, the the level he can perform at, Lewis isn't going to chip away at the, the points gap, whether it's 20, 30, 40 points, very easily. Unless there's a big swing, you know, a, a Checo retirement and a Lewis win or something like that. So it was already... It was looking realistic, but it wasn't a done deal. At the end of the Austin weekend, another one where Checo had, uh, I think as Diego put it earlier, and it wasn't spectacular, but it was fine. You know, it was it was much better than the weekends that preceded it. He scored decent points. It was a decent reset to then try and build from. But Lewis had taken quite a few points out of him. And it was suddenly looking like, actually, you know, Lewis could do this. 
couple of hours later, Lewis gets disqualified and Checo is, what is it, 39 points ahead now? Yeah, exactly. From 19 to 39. Yeah. That's how it changed. With, <laughs> yes, because Lewis loses 18 and Checo gained a couple, didn't he? So, so all of a sudden, 39 points, four races and a sprint left against to try and catch the guy that's driving the fastest car in F1. That that's that's a lot to ask, and I feel like it's not just within Checo's control. He's in he's in a comfortable position now. He doesn't have to stress about it, and I think that's going to be really good for him because whether it was by accident or design, Red Bull was adding a lot of pressure even before that little public narrative change around the Qatar weekend. Red Bull was putting pressure on Perez because they kept kept stressing that the one thing they hadn't done and the one thing they wanted to do was clinch that 1-2 in the championship. Now, all the while Checo's walking towards that quite comfortably, that's a perfectly fine thing to trot out. But then when he has his bad couple of weekends and comes under pressure, then it's then it's much, it's almost like putting the, the pressure on him. It's turning the screw a little bit. But he's got some breathing space from that now. He doesn't feel like... I mean, he shouldn't fail to finish second from here. As long as it's not in through factors in his control. If he has a couple of engine failures or something like that and Hamilton rat- reels off a run of podiums and nips ahead because of that, that's not Checo's fault and he that shouldn't be held against him in terms of this four-race run. But the fact it's in his control, the fact that he's got a little bit of that, that breathing room and the fact that he did have that slightly more encouraging Austin weekend compared to the last few, I feel like that should put him in a calmer mental place for the final few races Diego mentioned earlier you know Checo doesn't back up back he doesn't give up he doesn't like to back down from a fight and in fact I think when his back's against the wall I think that's when often you see the best from him Um, but I don't think that's a healthy position to be in when you're chasing something with the car and you've lost your confidence and you're in that kind of negative spiral that that's when it's bad to be in that in that in that situation If, if you're up for the fight that's one thing but if you've got a load of factors going against you, then it just becomes a situation where there's just one thing laid on top of another and another and another, and it's just not good. But Checo's kind of out of that now, partly because of his better Austin weekend, partly because of other factors. So I feel like not only is he, easy, is he in control of that fight, it could bring a bit more out of him on a race-by-race basis too. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with what uh, Scott is saying. And uh, basically I see it as... Mm, it's more for Checo to lose than for Lewis, uh, you know, to win. Uh, it's only going to be mistakes, crashes, or these kind of things from from Checo that can actually give a, a proper shot to to Lewis. Because I, I asked the Lewis um, on Thursday uh, at Austin if I mean, because seven time world champion, which will he really target P two in the championship? I asked him if he, if it was a goal or it was more of a welcome consequence of. The car performing uh, where they how they wanted it. He said, "I think it's a goal." And I said, okay, well, I think the goal has is not far <laughs> further after Austin because of uh, things that were not in his control. But uh, yeah, I think it, if Checo doesn't make any big mistakes uh, in these la- last four races, he he should be in to get that P two. Yeah, it's interesting. Christian Horner was talking about the demands on Perez, and he was saying there's no pre-mandate for him to finish second in the championship. So I think he's sort of saying he's not obliged for him. But then again, he did also say we've never done this before. So a one-two in the championship for such a dominant car, I think, is is needed really. But yeah, 
I, th- I think the way Hamilton framed the push for second in the championship was it was more of a reflection of the progress the team's making than any particular personal achievement. Obviously, he's won seven world championships. So, of course, finishing second isn't really something he's going to be getting excited about. He's finished second in the championship before. So it's not exactly a, a new thing. But it's um, it's funny, isn't it, Scott? We had this last year, didn't we? We were talking about second in the championship as one of the storylines. And ultimately, second in the championship never really matters unless it's a close championship and second in the championship means you've missed out on the proper championship, which is the actual prize. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The only thing, the only time I think that that second place in the championship does matter outside of, you know, because you've lost the, the world championship is if you've got, if you're if you're kind of what Lewis is doing, a bit more like what Lewis is doing than what Charles did last year because the Ferrari was so good last year for, for a lot of the season. Um and they did have title hopes for a third of the season last year, whereas Merck definitely hasn't haven't this year, is is if you are in emphatically the second or third fastest car, you know, the the the, the championship winner is miles down the road. And that means that this guy in second in the second car should be quite a comfortable second. Then I feel like if you're best of the rest and you've split the top two. That that kind of feels like that's an example of where second is an achievement. You know, it feels like more more so than in any other in any other year where it's a bit closer and you can have that random because by rights this year it should be Verstappen, big gap, Checo, reasonable gap, and then the best of the rest. And I think if Lewis had been able to split those Red Bulls now because of everything else he's achieved in his career, like he he probably wouldn't care that much. But I think it would be a point of pride because it's a badge of honour to be best of the rest, especially when the guy or the team or the car who has won has done it by such a dominant margin. Because then you're just like, well, look, I, I couldn't have done anything. Look how much better that car is. I can't do anything about that. But I'm so damn good. I've been able to beat the guy who's got the fastest car in F1 and who just should have won the championship by this much, you know? So that kind of feels like where it, there's a an element of personal pride in it. But... And I would be surprised if Lewis isn't motivated by that in some way, but it does feel like his bigger priority has been second in the Constructors' Championship for Mercedes. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Lewis mentioned that when he, when he um, replied to what I was asking about second in the championship being a goal or, or not, and, and he pointed out exactly that he would beat the, the guy with the fastest car not Max Verstappen, but the other guy with the fastest car. So that that in itself would be an, an achievement. And and I mean, let's see how much of this pace that they had this weekend or last weekend at Austin will be able to replicate in Brazil and the rest of the tracks uh, coming at us. Because uh, one thing that I thought would help Checo in his cause uh, was also the fact that McLaren was there, that Ferrari could occasionally be there, and that probably the points would split more and not, be just uh, Hamilton taking big chunks of points every every race. But if the Mercedes is going to be this good for the for the next few races, then it, it will be a bit more, let's say, pressure into that P2 for Checo. Let's uh, move on a bit to look somewhat more widely and elaborate a little bit on what you were talking about, Diego, at the start of the podcast, because obviously with your TV role with Fox Sports, you've got a really good perspective on F1 in the region. And we always talk about the United States growth, but 
How about a little bit further south in Mexico and maybe a bit south of that as well? Where does F1 sit? You mentioned there is a, a bit of a drive to survive effect there as well. How significant is F1 and and is it is it booming and what does it need to boom more? Yeah, it has. I mean, I'm Colombian, um, not Mexican, <laughs> but uh, since I, uh, uh, I mean, since the whole drive to survive thing started, uh, lots of people from Colombia that would never even understand what I was doing uh, would not be interested at all in anything to do with F1. Would would not even know the drivers. I mean, every one of them. Their children, they all know about Formula One. They all want to come to races. They, some of them come to races. And, and you can see that, I mean, Colombia hasn't had a Grand Prix. We haven't had a driver in the, in the free, in the field for a long time now, since, uh, 206, basically, since Montoya was out of his drive at McLaren after the, uh, Indy crash with Raikkonen and other drivers. <laughs> but, um, but, there's a lot more following right now and you can even see it on social media uh colombian profiles do f1 things like they they didn't do when montoya was there for example and that also happens in many other countries uh, downwards towards uh, chile and, and argentina i think it has grown to a level that is probably unprecedented for for the region uh, you probably heard that the, there was this uh, initiative to have a race in in Cartagena, uh, sorry, in Bar- Barranquilla, because um, Cartagena is quite close, but it, it's a city in the north uh, coast of Colombia. Um, last year, around this time, right after the Mexican Grand Prix, some of the people involved with the organization of the uh, uh, Mexican Grand Prix uh, visited Barranquilla, uh, the place where the track would be uh, build and everything, and they were very involved in in trying to see the via- viability of the whole thing. And uh, it got to a point that it looked like it was going to happen for 25. I think it, it's still on the table, but probably the volume has gone down a bit on that. Uh, but they, they want to make it happen. I guess there are big challenges ahead for that to become closer to reality in the future but uh, there is definitely uh, an interest and and the people involved in that i mean we don't have a driver and we won't have a driver probably if that happens in the next three four years or maybe sebastian montoya makes a breakthrough and he's able to but it looks at like it's going to be more of a thing of having another race in the region and uh, they do it because it, they they see the business model will make sense for them. There's gonna, there would be a lot of uh, private investing into it. So it shows that they, there is definitely interest. And if for them, the numbers show that it can be done, it just shows how much F1 has, has grown in, in the region because it wouldn't be the Grand Prix of Colombia. Uh, it, ha- it has a, a name more of a region, like the Caribbean Grand Prix. So it would bring people from the Caribbean region, not only from uh, the north uh, of uh, South America, like Venezuela, uh, Colombia, and, and Panama, for, for example. So, yeah, I guess that, that shows that it has grown a lot. And uh, let's see how much it grows, and hopefully we get to see in the future more more drivers uh, from the region. It, it, we will have a couple in 
F2 next year. There's going to be um, Mexicans. Correa's still there. He's American, but he's also Equatorian. Uh, and there's going to be at least a couple more in F, F3. Uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I guess it's going to be some time before we see the, the next uh, Montoya or the next Checo. But uh, the interest in the sport is is there definitely at a level that <clears throat> wasn't back then. It's interesting because in a, it's a different way to to before, but it's good to it's good to, that there has been a uh, an increase in the interest from an audience point of view. Because when I was um, when I was growing up and following um, following motorsport, following F one, following um, loads of different categories, you know, Champ Car, DTM, Formula Three, all sorts like that, the it always felt to me like the next most prominent nation after British drivers was Brazilian drivers. And there was a really, really strong export of really high quality racing drivers from South America. And Brazil was kind of the main example of that. But that never quite, that, that never quite got matched by the representation for South American countries in terms of like the global picture of 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 f1 like the the fact scott that, are you suggesting ricardo londonio didn't make a big impact <laughs> on formula one <laughs> not big enough i say um and he, he he of course was treated with so much respect <laughs> that i believe his name is still regarded in some quarters in in uh in the uk as ricardo londonio bridge because somebody added the bridge as a bit of a joke um he, he was a <laughs> colombian driver who did one grand prix and he lost his super license in about not today so yeah <laughs> But a proper driver. He was known in, in Colombia as Cuchilla, which is a knife. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ricardo Cuchilla Londoño, that, that was his uh, nickname. But, but we had Guerrero then. Yeah, Guerrero that. was the uh, big name. Yes. But the but but we just we, we had this period for so long where to outside of drivers, the only kind of the only way that 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 south america or even anywhere outside of the us even or even the us i suppose for a while permeated the the sort of wider consciousness of, of formula one was the brazilian grand prix that that was basically it for, for certainly for me like I, I never got to experience for example the years where there was a race in argentina for for example that's before before my time um but i've been able to i've been in i've i've been in uh, I've been to Punta del Este for a Formula E race. I've been to Buenos Aires for a Formula E race. I've been to Santiago in Chile for a Formula E race. And when when you get into an area and you get local fans that do genuinely care about it, like the the the, the passion is amazing. The affection that they have for racing is absolutely amazing. There's so much racing heritage and passion. So when you have and the, this is kind of the point I'm getting to, is when you have, you say it's like a Netflix effect almost, part of that drive to survive popularity, Diego. I often hear people use the, you know, drive to survive fans almost as a negative, right? The old, all these these casual fans that are coming in and they don't actually care about Formula One. I I kind of think, I now casual fans do exist and it has brought F1 to a new audience, but I also feel like when you see a project like the... Um, it's the the Barranquilla project in in Colombia or or any other country, right? These things wouldn't be happening without Drive to Survive, and then countries wanting to get in on the act of hosting a, a Formula One race. But the fans, but people were people care about F one in those countries for a reason. So if this is just a way of 
the World Championship opening up and so that we're not just, when you've got these free races in the US, you don't have the whole area below the US covered by Mexico and Brazil. It would be really good to have something that's more, yeah, okay, I get the point that maybe you'd have to join forces almost with a few of the, the, the countries in the region and it's a regional Grand Prix rather than one single nation's Grand Prix, but that's fine, right? That that would be really cool. I, I When I started covering Formula One five or six years ago, I certainly didn't hear any stories about races in Panama or Colombia. So I, I, I see that only as a good thing. Yeah, so I guess the main question is whether it's actually going to happen. Oh, Diego, it sounds like there's enough interest around there that something will happen eventually, and it's really a question of when, isn't it? That's probably the big question, whether they can put the money in to make it work. Because I... Although it'd be a nice region for F1 to exploit, I don't necessarily see it as one where they will do a Las Vegas, for example, and invest their own money in it. They'll need a a, a local promoter, won't they, or, or a government, I guess, to do it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in this case, it, it it's more of a private investing that's into the project. Uh, obviously, they they need the the government at some stages just to you know have the the proper support not necessarily on the financial side but i i guess when when big money comes in there's all sorts of deals that can be worked out in the different businesses that they are involved with in so that the government uh, steps in and and at least uh, you know puts uh, like a rubber stamp let's say on, on it and and it it also helps the the event uh, move, move forward but but yeah I, let's see if down the road it it continues to to be on the table or not uh Juan Pablo Montoya was involved in that uh, to some extent as well and he's recently said that the slot that was going to be for for Barranquilla is the one that uh, uh Madrid has now I don't necessarily agree but I can can see the point I mean he he wants it to happen he he organized a couple of uh, I don't know if you remember a couple of karting events in quite close to to Barranquilla in Cartagena. Uh, he took De La Rosa. He took uh, some IndyCar drivers, Dan Weldon, uh, Antonio Pizzonia back in the day, and he he did a, a something that I, at the time I thought it was crazy, but it, it he made it happen, and it was it was really good. It was on live TV in Colombia, and everybody watched it. And it's good, but uh, but yeah. From that to having a Grand Prix and having all the infrastructure necessary to to host so many people and the event be a success, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a long stretch. Uh, there there has been a lot of uh, growth in in the region, uh, especially Barranquilla has has grown a lot in many different ways uh, in the re- in recent years. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to take uh, uh, to do a, bit, a few more steps for that to become closer to to reality. Well, I hope we can get some more races in the region because it'd just be great for Formula One. I'm a big fan of the Brazilian Grand Prix. That's normally my favourite. Mexico is a favourite as well. So, yeah, it'd be great to be able to go to somewhere like Colombia, back to Argentina, a bit further south. I'm uh, all in favour of that. So let's hope the coming years brings at least one race in that part of the world. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. 
Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, let's finish off with some talk about sprint races because we're in a run of three sprint events out of four. Mexico is the exception, but Qatar and Austin had sprints, so will Brazil. And sprints has really been a big talking point recently. We had quite a lot of questions from the Race Members Club on this, and as promised in our post-race podcast, we're going to address some of those. So via the questions, we're going to uh, just briefly talk about an area of F1 that perhaps still needs to improve. The first question comes from Timothy Junes, which I'll throw at you, Diego. Just ask simply, how can F1 improve sprint races? Make it really short, 10 laps, reverse grid. What do you think to that, Diego? And perhaps you can bring a little bit of TV insight as well, <laughs> given uh, it's meant to work for television viewers. And um, you've probably got a good idea of what is and isn't working. Yeah, I, I think um, one thing I was speaking to, to the Fox guys uh, last weekend was like the whole sprint thing has been sandwiched in the weekend so that you have to watch it, you know, because they place it like in between the qualifying and the race, which had that continuity for the, for the past few years. So you watch qualifying, you see this, you know, what the starting grid is, and then you, you have the Grand Prix. Now this thing is in the middle. I think it, it creates some confusion. Even I get confused sometimes about who's on pole and who's, who's on pole for the sprint and who's on pole for the Grand Prix and who's starting where uh, on Saturday and who's starting where on Sunday. And that makes a bit of a disconnect from two key parts of the weekend, which should still be the biggest parts of the weekend, I think, uh, maybe from a purist standpoint. But uh, I guess there, there shouldn't be this disconnect between qualifying and the Grand Prix. Maybe... Um, reshuffling a little bit the, the schedule and have that continuity, still have the sprint, but have the the qualifying and then the Grand Prix, I think is one thing. Then reverse grids, I mean, I'm not against that, you know. Uh, Formula One is hoping to try so many things now that uh, I don't see why you shouldn't try that. Obviously, there's a lot of <laughs> um, things that come with that. Uh, the... Uh, probability of crashes, uh, what that uh, brings uh, uh, in terms of uh, budget caps and all that. But if there could be a bigger provision for that, then maybe it's something worth trying. You know, it's not in the Formula One, in the DNA of Formula One to do reverse grids, you know, but but many of the drivers that, have, that are now in Formula One have raced on reverse grids in Formula 3 and Formula 2. So I don't see why this couldn't be brought at some point because it will ensure overtaking. It will ensure, yeah, the odd incident. Um, and there's going to be plenty of action for sure. So it, you you won't have 
like sometimes it happens this this with this format now that you get a preview of the Grand Prix during the sprint. I mean, sometimes it translates, sometimes it, it doesn't, like last uh, weekend because of how where Max was starting relative to where he started on, on the sprint. But um, yeah, I'd like to see something more different to the just a smaller Grand Prix, which gives lesser points, has less laps, has less overtaking and has less everything. Yeah, I'd agree with you 100% there. It needs to be far more distinctive and fitting better with the flow of the weekend. And in line with that, Scott, there's a question from Don Anderson, which is, well, more of a proposal than a question. He suggests the sprint needs to be a team race. Line up the grid based on average times from race qualifying, one team per row of the grid, and award positions and team points, no driver points, based on the average team finish. Providing different motivations should provide different tactics, which would interest the kind of hardcore fans that tune into Saturday events. F1 is supposed to be a team game. Let's have some races where it 100% is. What do you think of that uh, quite interesting proposal for a sprint? I quite like the creativity behind it. It reminds me a little bit of, do you two remember, I'm going to test your affection for racing outside of Formula One here. Do you remember a few years ago when World Touring Cars had the Pursuit Qualifying? Was that what they called it or was that what it was based on? I mean, that was simultaneously brilliant and terrible. Like I uh, genuinely, I, because I always loved touring car racing. I grew up watching it and um, still had a, uh, have a great deal of affection for it now. Um, I I would I would occasionally try and put that on just out of sheer curiosity because it always struck me as as, as kind of weird. So I'm kind of getting pursuit qualifying vibes um, from that. For for me, it's not the kind of thing that I watch racing for, so I wouldn't necessarily be in favour of it. But what I like about it is, like I say, the creativity, and I do think that the sprint shouldn't be. And I'm probably plagiarising a bit of an Ed thought here because I think I've had this whatsapp or direct message from ed a million times about the sprint format the sprint shouldn't be a crap little version of the grand prix itself if you're going to introduce it it should be its own thing and to almost take something diego said there and use it as an argument for doing something not crazy but very different with the sprint is that reverse grids for example they aren't in f1's dna but sprint races aren't in f1's dna so let's let's roll with that. There, there is no reference for an F1 sprint race. So why are we trying to crowbar all the stuff that doesn't work over a single stint in a Grand Prix and needs an entire Grand Prix distance to be interesting? And even then, it's interesting maybe one in three times? <laughs> I, I don't think it's too far to say that two-thirds of the season aren't stunning races, but you watch them out of hope that it will be. A great race but you need the Grand Prix to play out in full for that you need to do something quite dramatic and stop fiddling around with the edges and do something that actually tangibly changes what a sprint offers how it challenges the drivers how it fits into the weekend the way it is at the moment kind of just feels like a like a cheap pale imitation of something it's trying to be but I don't and it feels like they don't know what they want it to be or what it should be they just wanted it to exist and now they're trying to retrospectively kind of retroactively force it into something that works. And I kind of feel it needs to be almost abolished and then started from scratch because we're now just trying to layer on fixes for things and it's kind of just mutating into something that uh, it just doesn't really tick any boxes for me. Yeah, the assumption underpinning it is that more is more, but 
while more can be more, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better. I think that's the uh, the key thing. And the final question on this, Diego, from Ed Graff, is what if Pirelli developed a sprint race only tyre that was simply designed to work the whole race? No fall off, then all the drivers go flat out. It would allow a number of cars that normally overuse their tyres to be more competitive and could change up the aero setups a little more as well, given they have more mechanical grip. So is changing the tyres a potential variable to make the sprints more interesting? Well, maybe it, it can help. Uh, at some tracks, probably. Uh, would it make a big difference? I'm not sure. I think the, 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 the biggest difference will come from the whole, the, the whole format itself, like uh, Scott was mentioning, that that would in itself create more variables and more action um, than having a tire that lasts forever you know so but it could be as well because if the tire is somewhat limiting uh, a limiting factor for the drivers to be able to attack and go full push like qualifying lap after qualifying lap then then yeah absolutely it, it needs to be i don't know if we uh, really needs to bring a sprint tire uh, and have uh, the uh, three compounds and then uh, the sprint tire uh, to make it more exciting and more sprint even but but yeah i i think um it can help, but it, it wouldn't transform a sprint race, I think. Some might argue that Pirelli are finding it hard enough to find um, you know, the time and ability to make a tyre work for the entire Grand Prix. So maybe they should focus on that before we try and ask them to introduce another tyre that everyone just ends up moaning about and saying that they're not doing a good enough job with. <laughs> I'm also a little bit wary about trying to use the tyre supplier to fix all F1's ills, which seems to be a bit of a tendency in in uh, the past decade or more, in fact. But yeah, I think basically what we've all agreed on here is regardless of what happens, it needs to be more thought about doesn't it it needs to be something much more different something that stands out as not just a massively diluted version of the grand prix weekend itself and certainly there's plenty of things they can do it's it's baffling that uh, they try to um sort of make it as, as straightforward and similar as possible and let's talk about big prize funds or all these other format ideas and i think f1 probably is serious about doing this it was interesting at, at cota actually that bobby epstein the, the promoter of the race said that they didn't get an uptick from the sprint race on Saturday. In fact, Sunday sales were strong. Saturday ticket sales were actually a bit down. So that's quite an interesting case study there. Certainly not the uh, uh, the gold mine, perhaps, that F1 and Stefano Domenicali thought they were. Scott, we'll quickly finish off with a look ahead to the Mexican Grand Prix weekend. Are you expecting the altitude and challenging cooling conditions to shuffle the pack in any way? No, I think I'll be okay. I'll be I'll be back at base. So, you know, for me, no, uh, no, no issues with... Um with altitude and oxygen levels where from from where I'm from, from where I'm sitting so I fully expect to be at the front of the pecking order come the post race podcast on Sunday and I'll leave you and uh, Mark trailing in my wake <laughs> exactly you'll have the uh, higher oxygen levels but it's um it's always interesting isn't it Diego Mexico because of that uh, that high altitude it's not too far off 3000 meters isn't it I think uh, there was it 2,300 meters. I've got all these numbers in my head, but it basically thinner air, less downforce. So we're running maximum downforce packages, but for Monza level downforce, which is always very interesting and cooling too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I come from Bogota, which is quite similar altitude, like 23, 2,400 uh, um, meters above sea level. So uh, I, I quite like enjoy coming back and after. Yeah, after so so much time living away from from uh, Bogota, it 
takes a few days to you know get back to normal and not be exhausted after a few stairs <laughs> uh, but um but yeah it's quite unique uh, the the technical challenge is, is quite unique i hope uh, after what happened because it's it's not only the downforce but also the cooling you know <laughs> i guess aston martin might be rechecking all those numbers <laughs> from the simulation <laughs> after the struggles uh, on fp1 at austin and here more with the cooling but um yeah i, I think it's going to create some some um, nice challenges again. Also, the the tarmac is is quite unique. You know, it, it has created this. Uh, I guess uh, in the past it was more the the graining that was a factor, and cleaning the graining was was a struggle. This year they bring the softest compounds, which might create some nice uh, opportunities for some guys, and the those who struggle with the softest tires may may face uh, some problems in, in qualifying. Maybe, I don't know, if, he, if the last sector is going to be that punishing um, in terms of losing the traction with maybe a lot more hit. Because one thing, it's, when, when you're this high, even if it's not summer, when it's hot and the, hot, the, the, the sun is out and there's no clouds, the, the, the track temperature could rise like a Qatar levels in the day. So uh, it, it really is a, a challenge of, of extremes in many ways. And and usually extremes uh, create some entertaining in some ways. So hopefully it all helps to, to have a more dynamic race uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I think you want a variety of different conditions and challenges, don't you? And this is the most extreme one of the season by quite some margin. There's nothing like this kind of altitude elsewhere. I think Interlagos is the next highest one, and that's 800 metres or something, so about a third the altitude. So, yeah, a unique event and a great event as well. Very pleased Mexico rejoined the F1 schedule. I was going to say a few years ago. It was uh, quite some years ago now, but now it's very much uh, one of the centerpieces of the calendar so looking forward to getting out there well thanks very much Jago for joining us I'm sure we'll have you again on in the future if you can uh, spare the time so thanks and also thanks to you Scott for your comeback appearance head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there about the latest in the world of F1 and the rest of the world of motorsport check out also our other podcasts including bring back V10s the race F1 tech show with Gary Anderson MotoGP Formula E and also IndyCar podcast and try our YouTube channel as well for long form and short videos and have a look at the race in Spanish as well Diego's channel is there's uh, plenty of Spanish language to enjoy there is your channel too yeah well that's true yeah yeah <laughs> just unfortunately my Spanish is not very good that's the problem so uh, I just put my voice <laughs> <laughs> but I'm told I'm told it's very very good for those who uh, have the linguistic skills to actually uh, understand it I'm now going to pack my bags for Mexico we'll be heading to one of my favorite races so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One The Athletic.